Hello, and welcome to Ringer FC. I'm Ryan O'Hamlin. I'm joined by the only other person on this panel who matters, Chris Ryan. What's up, man? It's Liverpool hour. Well, it's Liverpool a few minutes. We just, I have to run, but we couldn't not talk about the greatest game ever played. And I'm not talking about Bagger Vance or whatever that <laughs> Bobby, <laughs> Uh, we're talking about Liverpool 4, Manchester City 3, but really Liverpool 4, Manchester City 1, because I don't count those last two. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even count the first one. I don't one. even think the Premier League should count them. Uh, we wanted to just talk very detailed about that performance and maybe what Liverpool should be doing going forward. Would we need like a like a special Liverpool subsection name for this podcast? Like Knights of Anfield. Yeah. <laughs> Fans of Anfield rap. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am one. That's a great podcast. Uh, that's the uh, if if an alien came to planet Earth and said, "What's soccer?" I'd show them that game. Yeah, I haven't been able to operate heavy machinery since that game because I'm so so high from that. I it's strange because it was so electric and it was such a thrilling athletic display that even though I'm from Philadelphia and the Eagles won the divisional playoffs to go to the NFC Championship, I was like kind of, I felt like my emotions were dulled because I was so excited about that Liverpool game. Um, The thing I wanted to ask you most of all, we were talking about this last night, was this idea of Klopp's been rotating a lot, much to Simone Mingle's disappointment. Yeah, He's been, uh, there's been a noticeable turning down of the volume in terms of their pressing, Mm -hmm. in terms of the, the counter pressing that they do. And then... I thought on Sunday that it looked like they had been a bunch of starved leopards who were just let, let out of a cage in a butcher shop. Yeah. You were saying that they actually were pressing at a lower rate. What's the stat that you were talking about? So the, the sort of stat that explains pressing is called PPDA, mm-hmm. which is uh, passes per defensive action in the opponent's half. So basically the number of passes your opponent makes before you attempt to tackle interception, anything like that. Um, and like the best teams are around like six or seven. Um, and Liverpool was at that last year. This year they're around 10 and against city, it was around 13. Hmm. Um, so like below what their average is. Yeah. But I think that is partially one cause they were playing Manchester city and Manchester city is like, willing to pass it back to their keeper under any circumstance sure. and like churn out a couple extra passes. And two, I think the thing you saw in that game was that, and I think we're seeing it with this season, is they're kind of being smarter about when they press. It's not just we're pressing all the time, 90 minutes. It was the beginning of the second half to the 70th minute. We're going to press the shit out of you um, and go up 4-1 and then win the game because of that. Should we do Phil Coutinho Ewing theory? Hutinho. <laughs> Question mark. Um, I do think that if you're going to play against the best attacking side in the world, this side of Barcelona, it helps to have a midfield that's really industrious mm-hmm. rather than have one guy who doesn't always do the, the pressing that, that he's required to do in that position. When Coutinho is playing in that midfield three, I... Look, I just thought Wijnaldum and Chan like had an incredible match, you know, and I just thought that they brought the energy and the defensive aggression that maybe that wouldn't be there for Coutinho. There's going to be a time soon when Mane or Salah or Firmino has like a hamstring pull, yeah, and we will definitely miss everything that Coutinho can do, and he can also like at any given moment strike from 25 yards out, yeah. So I mean, there's going to be times when we miss him, but against City, it seemed like. 
his absence was a plus. Yeah, I think if Ox is going to do what he did, then <laughs> yeah. you're not you're not going to miss Coutinho. You mean the mayor of Liverpool now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think, I mean, Coutinho is awesome and any team would miss him, right? But I think there is probably an argument to be made that the times Liverpool miss him the most is when they can't play like this and mm-hmm. they have possession the whole game and they need someone who's going to like wiggle his way through three defenders, play a give and go, and either score or set someone up, or, you know, they can't break down like a low block, and they, yeah. he's just going to put a free kick. That was the, the thing, corner. is that they kept, whenever they would dispossess City, it was like uh, trips, wide yeah. receiver routes. Like, yeah. everybody broke vertically on goal, and even if they didn't score every time they broke, they put the back line of City under so much pressure that I think that they didn't need a magician like an Ozil type who was sort of drifting in and like finding that great cross, like that great pass that unlocked the defense. Yeah, yeah. And if they, if they pl- again, it's it all comes back to if they play like that, they don't need Coutinho because that's just like everyone is playing well and it's just like the, it's just the team is what matters in that situation. I was saying to Micah before we recorded that my favorite thing about this game is that uh, – the season's over. Like, City's going to win the Premier League. Um, It's driving most other teams out of their minds. (laughs) But Liverpool has a lot to play for. They're still in the Champions League. They're still playing for a Champions League spot. They're in the FA Cup. I think they're still in the Carabao, aren't they? No. Oh. All right. So they can't can't win the treble? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is an example of how you can still find things to play for. Um, And I think that it's interesting to see Liverpool find this gear and have all this excitement around the team while still, you know, maybe being the fourth best side in the country still. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. And 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 watching City and watching United and Chelsea kind of struggle with identity and struggle with just kind of a malaise while Liverpool is obviously like firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I mean it was the per- I th- I think the there is a section of the fan base which I don't consider myself a part of, that was kind of like, if we're se- we're a selling club, mm-hmm. like this Coutinho thing, like we're not the club that we thought we were. To follow it up with this is just like, actually, this team is awesome. I, quite candidly, we are not the club we thought we were. We yeah. do sell our best players. Uh-huh. Like that has been happening for, for a while now. Yeah, like, Mascherano. Torres. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's also like... You know, they might be the fourth best team, but they've now <laughs> the hardest game on their schedule. They just won. Yeah. And they have that in their pocket going forward. And all these other teams still have to play Manchester City. And I doubt that any of these teams are going to put in the kind of performance Liverpool put in against them. Uh, what's your number one item on your shopping list in January? You want to keep her? Yes. Yeah. Do you think, um, I think it's 80, is it 80 million is the buyout for Oblak? I think it's something around there. Yeah. Do you want Allison? You want to wait till the summer for Allison? Yeah, I think you wait. I think you wait for Allison because I think he's he's just gonna cost less. Um, Claude pretty much has to either bring Mignolet back into the side now, or like he has to kind of. I think I feel like he might have to decide pretty soon. And it sounds like he's leaning Carius. And Carius like does have good distribution, but Carius is not much of a shot stopper. No, I mean, I I give him the benefit of the doubt on that Sané goal, which was like a brick run like moving <laughs> yeah. at 100 miles yeah. per hour. Yeah. But that's 
kind of the exact same thing we would criticize Minulay for, but Minulay has literally come out and said, like, I need to consider my future because the World Cup is coming up. Which doesn't make any sense because it's like you're not going to start over Courtois for Belgium anyway. So yeah. you're just worried about not making the backup, the, being the backup? And is, I don't think, like... And is there a third Belgian keeper <laughs> who's, like, coming for that backup spot? Do you need your backup keeper to be, like, playing? Yeah. You know? I, I don't think I so. I guess it's like if Tibbs gets, if, if Courtois gets injured, Mignolet's like, I'm starting in the World Cup. Yeah. But... That seems like a weird thing to worry about. Yeah, that's that's a bridge that you'll be really lucky if you have to cross it. What's who's on your list? Is it the same thing? Yeah, I I also I I think it's it's a keeper long term. It's um one more goal scorer short term. And whether you break the bank for Lamar or you think you can get him for 60 or whatever, but uh the way that Sané, Firmino and Salah play screams, I'm going to get a hamstring injury at some point, and you're going to need another guy who's capable of either being creative or scoring goals. And sounds like Sturridge is on the way out. Danny Ings, I don't know if we'll ever see again. Uh, I don't I don't know if he's going to put Ryan Brewster into the cauldron of a, of a Champions League race. Um, I, I, I would love to get one more goal scorer. You're forgetting one important name. <laughs> the Welsh... Zidane. I thought they loaned him. Didn't they loan him out? <laughs> they were considering it, but then they haven't yet. Um, it's going to be a big second half for Ben Woodburn. He's got Ryan Giggs managing him with Wales now, yeah. giving the most impassioned halftime speeches I've ever seen. We um, can discuss. We can stop this disgusting show of partisanship towards Liverpool. I just really wanted a safe space to talk to you about this for a minute. We deserved it. But we got Salah. Aha, money, money, do 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 do. And Bobby Fomino, and we so cool, teeny But we've got Salah. Aha, money, money. And Bobby Fomino, but we so cool, teeny What's up, guys? Skip up, up, up. What's going on, Donnie? Michael, let me speak. What's okay. going on, Ryan? Um, got something to tell you guys. Yeah, uh, Chris and I already recorded the Liverpool portion of this podcast because we needed time for ourselves. Exactly. How long was it? Was it like was it two hours or you know like are we are we talking an entire Lord of the Rings movie durations worth or was this just Kyle could tell us how long. <laughs> yeah, just 15 minutes of yelling. Yeah. yeah, okay. More time than it took them to score three goals. That's that's very nice of you to say that. Um, yeah. So we already talked about Liverpool, but we're gonna let you guys talk about Liverpool too, um, <laughs> and then do a couple other massive overreactions as always. Then we're gonna talk about the current and impending crisis at Real Madrid, and then we're gonna have an interview with Ted Knutson. Uh, soccer consultant, former uh, front office guy at uh, FC Brentford about just the transfer window in general and some of Donnie's favorites, Donnie's favorite clubs, uh, <laughs> recent falterings. Um, but we'll let's let's talk a little bit more about Liverpool. They're going to win the Premier League, <laughs> maybe next season. Uh, they, they called the match. I heard someone call it champions of this season versus champions of next season. That seemed like a pretty apt description, no? 
I want to know, Bonnie, actually, you know, before we get into anything else, what do you think of Ederson's positioning on that on that first ox goal? I feel like you have some something to say about that. <laughs> we need we need the keeper expert back on to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I mean, like, I think a more pressing question is how do you feel about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain flourishing at Liverpool and scoring as many goals and <laughs> twenty appearances for them as Honestly, he did I'm, at seventy-one at Arsenal. I'm really, I'm really happy for him actually, and I, I was happy when he scored. And I, I watched all of his. Po- he was interviewed by pretty much every publication and television channel after the game. So, um, you know, it's just he's improving, and he's improved, and you can see. Uh, what it's like for a player like him to play under a manager that has a clear plan. And actually, I don't know, Ryan, what do you think about uh, it's It's too easy to say, I guess, that Ox was, you know, replacing Coutinho, I guess, in this lineup. But with, uh, you know, in, in the center with uh, Wijnaldum and Emre, Emre Khan, like, what did you think of his, his performance or that that actual three men midfield? If you presented that three to me before the game and told me that they were playing Manchester City, I would have been a little uh, skeptical and <laughs> extremely nervous. But I mean, he was he was out of his mind, and you know, if he if he plays like that every game, then it's like, who cares that Coutinho left? You know, <laughs> like if he's going to be that active and he's going to score a goal like that, just and do that frequently, then it's like. The thirty million they paid for him was a complete bargain. I love him on uh on at like the the post game on the field interview with uh, NBC Sports Network, and they're just like, yeah, you went in one one at halftime after uh, who tied it up? Was it uh that was Sané. that was Sane? Sane tied it up with four like five touches, beating the entire right side of the the Liverpool defense and smashing it in past carries his near post. But anyway, halftime. And they're just like, yeah, so what did Klopp say to you guys? And he's just like, he said, well, it's 1-1 and it is what it is. We got to do more now. And that was the end of it. <laughs> That's a, a very Ryan Giggs-esque bit of motivation. Yeah, you know, let's go out there and beat the other team at whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> no. do, you, do you guys think that one of the things that struck me about this game, other than like, it giving me a full body high for the past 72 hours. It was just like two really good teams playing extremely well and no one hated each other. And after the game, we were just talking about the game, which is, it seems like yeah. a very rare experience in the Premier League in 2017, 2018. It's just like one of those very rare matches that you can be in, if like, if you are. Just it's a it was a soccer game for people that love soccer. It's like if you could enjoy the shit out of that as a I, neutral. I, f- I feel like that's one thing that actually would have added to it a little bit of enmity and like contempt between the two teams. I kind of like that. Oh for yeah, enter- there were like point deductions and stuff. That, yeah, that would have been nice too. But yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, there's like this underlying, you know, Res- respect, respect, but also like the. Liverpool f- small part of or probably a large part of Liverpool fan base's hatred of Raheem Sterling. Um every time he touched the ball, like it they let him have it. It was it, it was honestly too loud to see in there. Yeah, and then couple that with him just being in Andy Robertson's pocket. Yeah, the he had the <laughs> Robertson had the clamps on him. Like just Actually, 
forcing him into those like touch passes backwards, predictable shots, all that, all the good stuff. Speak, speaking of Sterling and the booing from watching on television, as we all did, obviously, that was a real Anfield game because like it was loud. I mean, not obviously just the booing of Sterling, but just in general, the chants, the singing, you really got the full Liverpool Anfield experience, even just watching on television. And, and that made it even more dramatic and more sort of atmospheric, you know, watching the game unfold as it did. Yeah, and it just the way that Klopp's teams play when they're playing their best, like at 100 miles per hour and just always going forward, it just, it seems like the fans and the team sort of play off of each other really nicely. Is, is this, though, a blueprint in some ways of how teams will be able to attack City? Or is this just a Liverpool Klopp thing because of their personnel and his, and his tactics? Well, I mean, like you were talking about this the other day, actually, Donnie, when you are saying that kind of Roy Hodgson just kind of invited the pressure and absorbed it and frustrated City, and that almost worked, but for like a penalty right. um, when, when a City went to Crystal Palace. And then now, like, they show that they can be beaten in a different way, which is just go for broke. <laughs> like, don't, like, just reckless abandon full speed ahead. Which, I mean, like, if they can be beat both ways, on top of that, like, Liverpool conceding possession and still outshooting them was another thing. Yeah, I, we should say that it was, for Liverpool especially, it was helpful that they didn't play a game for nine days. Yeah. <laughs> and it sort of just allowed them to kind of all just come into the game at sort of max capacity and then be at zero. Um Probably be at zero around the 80th minute. I, yeah, they, I think. They, I think. What were you thinking when you went for when you went four one up? Were you like, I can't believe that the house around me is still standing, or was it more just like four one up is exactly where they want us? I was like, <laughs> it sucks that I can't enjoy this feeling more right now. Was <laughs> <laughs> how I felt. But the other thing well, I would say is that a incredible performance by Liverpool. But at the same time, it's like. First goal they scored is just a great strike by Ox. Maybe you can have some questions about Ederson. Um, second goal is just like this incredible chip by Firmino. We'll put uh, John Stones on a leash. Took him for a walk. Sunning John Stones. <laughs> um, I really regret putting him on the Ringer FC uh, starting line. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, he's got to go play for LAFC now. Yeah, he's he's been demoted to the youth team. Um, Third goal is the Mane just like looking off Chamberlain, looking off at Chamberlain through ball to just put the ball in the upper corner. And then the fourth goal is Salah just scoring from 50 yards out. So there is some like. All in the space one of, of eight the things minutes. is have guys that can do that stuff is one of the ways you can beat City, I guess. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not that concerned about City based off of this. What, what about you, Donnie? Uh, well, you know, I think you did see. I think the finishing was exquisite, as you said, and, and not every team will be able to replicate that. But I do think you could learn a little, I guess, from how, again, this is a largely, I guess, Klopp and and the way he uh, the way he instructs his team. But putting pressure on Otamendi and Stones and Delph and the back line can cause, create errors. You know, I mean, City were kind of uncharacteristic in how careless they were with the ball, but... 
um, rather than sitting back, I guess, and, and being more defensive, I guess, you know, obviously you're opening yourself up to them cutting you through the middle. But, um, you know, what Liverpool were doing was kind of different, a different approach than City has faced most of the season. So, I, I, you know, I think, you know, I, <clears throat> like you said, I don't think Huddersfield is going to go into the Etihad and do that. But, um, you know, in the Champions League, and, and, and you might see a little bit more pressure and and uh and, and that could be not if not a blueprint at least a way to go about it you know a way to face city and and not you know have the the midfield dominated and lose the way most of the teams have been losing that face them yeah still though like let's not overlook the fact that it came within like a second and an offsides call of you know it's that was between 3 points and 1 point so it still requires like probably the second best team in the league to be as best as they like as good as they could possibly be and for city to make a lot of mistakes yeah for something like that to happen yeah it required liverpool to play basically their absolute best game finish as well as they could and sort of have that <laughs> almost week and a half of rest and that it still almost wasn't enough yeah um so there's two ways to look at it, but i think you're probably right donnie i think like city had a ton of possession but it was all very deep in their own half. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, all of Liverpool's chances came from them pressing City in their half. So I think there's probably two lessons, I think, there of you can let City have the ball, but don't let them get too far up the field and then pick your spots where you want to put them under pressure. Well, and then Delph actually left like after 30 minutes or so, right? So yeah. I mean, that was City, the key. City. <laughs> that was the key. But, but you know, City's now down to what Danilo and and, and who's who's backing him up. I mean, like, you it's know, be uh, one of the young kids, one of their like fifteen young attacking midfielders. They'll just slide in there. Stop no, for Iniesta. I thought, you know, actually, uh, I did call that this was going to happen uh, last month that 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 uh, Liverpool were going to break the the run. But I was kind of surprised. I was anticipating Pep to be a little defensive I guess after the game uh or kind of um be more of a sore loser than he was but he he really did say you know I knew this was gonna happen like we were gonna lose at some point and he really did take it in stride so credit to him for not joseing it you know I think he's also kind of grateful not to have that to worry about I guess like or yeah, for that to be a thing that past. his players aren't worrying about anymore is like you know can we sustain this yeah. This win streak or whatever. Um, but even so, like if you watch like if you rewatch some of the game, when it cuts back to the sideline like around the 70th minute, and I think it's like after after Gundawan sticks it in the in the near post or whatever, like uh, you know, it's four three. And he's like got this this incredulous look on his face, like he's he's now enjoying this game. Yeah. Like he's just like, This is madness, but yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. I hope uh, Klopp shook Kevin De Bruyne's hand after the game and was like, you know, you could you could play a little, you could run a little more. <laughs> <laughs> I also like I love I also uh, quality viewing Klopp's post match interview too, and he's just like I could talk about this like as the Liverpool manager and be like that was really horrid defending, yeah. Or I could look at this as a football fan and be like, what the fuck was that? That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, he cursed on the air and then said, I thought I was allowed to curse on American TV, <laughs> which was a great moment. Um, oh, here's a quick one. Do you feel that uh, Carius, the Liverpool keeper, was at fault for the Sané goal? Yes or no? 
and Ryan, I guess, are you more confident with him than you are with Mignolet? Uh, confident is probably the wrong word to describe either of the feelings I feel toward those keepers. I think, you know, there's sort of the, you know, generic line of you should never get beat at the near post, but also that ball was moving really fast and he kind of got it off from a really tight angle. So I actually wasn't, I think a a great keeper probably saves that, but I wasn't. I wasn't as upset as I typically am about the goals they give up with that one. And he's the he's kind of the number one now, uh, if you read the tea leaves, right? Yeah, uh, Mignolet is not okay with not playing. He's come out in the press and said that, which is a very bold move for someone who's sort of been the worst Flutter player on the team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right, we'll, uh, it pains me, but we're going to have to move on from Liverpool, Manchester City. Um, to a new topic, which is Arsenal are, and I don't even know what overreaction to use here because I feel like we've used Arsenal <laughs> are getting relegated like four times already this <laughs> season. So uh, I, yeah, Arsenal lost to Bournemouth this weekend. I missed, I like I, I missed that game live and watched the replay, but like got up to watch the highlights the first thing i saw was the guy in the stands going boo boo rubbish (laughs) that was great just yelling rubbish so good so good he almost hit his friend in the face (laughs) donnie how do you feel about this uh unsurprised totally unsurprised and um disappointed but unsurprised because i think at this point Arsenal fans don't go into any match thinking we're going to win. Um, and I'm, I was actually just looking at the next slate of games. Palace, uh, the second leg of the Carabao with Chelsea, Swansea, Everton, Spurs, and then the Europa League uh, round of 32 first leg. It's like none of those feel like wins. Even Swansea at Swansea. That looks like a, tr- a tricky game. Like, <clears throat> And of course now the, the, the news that's dominating is not the Bournemouth result, but just the new players that may be coming in and where will Sanchez go? And it's a bit of kind of of a deflection, I guess, from from what happened. But it was really, really terrible game. I mean, I saw people talking afterwards saying it's like the worst Arsenal team ever or under Arsene Wenger's tenure. And I think that's pretty far off. They don't remember Shamak and Andre Santos and Jovino. Shamak oh, holding on to his hairline for dear uh, life. What's the guy's name? Frimpong. Oh, yeah, cool. from Dench, Dench, you know, there, there have been worse teams, but I think the, well, I mean, it's hard to say. It's, it, it, it's funny. It's almost comical to say I was about to say it's the worst mood, but then I was remembering the 8-2 Old Trafford, which is a really terrible mood. And that was at the beginning of the season. And then they a bought classic. Murder Sacker and Arteta and all those guys. Uh, and that's basically what's happening now. Um, you know, Obama Yang and, and, uh, and Malcolm and, and Johnny Evans. I mean, there's so many people that are allegedly coming that uh, I think it will, you know, if I were to predict what's going to happen over the rest of the season, uh, I would say that two or three of those guys are going to come in. Arsenal will probably win the Carabao Cup and maybe get to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. And and Arsene Wenger will just come back next year and build off of that. And those trophies and those new names will be enough to kind of paper the cracks. 
The heat uh, death of the universe is imminent, and Arsene Wenger has just signed a one-year extension. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wenger has already said, I think, this week or last week, he fully intends to stay on until 2019. You know, he signed an extension in 2017 for two years. And there's no reason not to believe he won't, he won't he, that he's going to walk away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. But I guess there are some promising signs. You know, they brought the guy in from Dortmund uh, to be the... What head of recruitment, Sven, Miss Slentet. Yep. And you got to think that that's why Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan now, is, you know, with the Alexis Wild, like those Dortmund guys are kind of being focused on. And then the, the Barcelona guy, uh, Raul, I forget how to say his last name. I forgot his last name, but, you know, he's coming in as the kind of director of football. I don't know what his official title is. So there are signs that Arsenal is. His, you know, like his vice-like grip over everything going on with the club uh, is slowly being, I wouldn't even say loosened, but there are other hands now. Uh, but, you know, as long as he's there, it's it's going to be, it's going to be the same thing. Are you worried about like a Manchester United post-Ferguson type situation where, you know, because Aubameyang is, what, he's 28, um, I guess there's like Marco Royce rumors too, and Johnny Evans. Malcolm's younger, but it's it does. Seem Are we like just a, trying to make the 2015 Dortmund team? Basically, we, yeah. you trying to, <laughs> we need Hummels more than anybody. <laughs> but it's like he's he's sort of Arsenal has among like the minutes played. Arsenal has the oldest team among the top six this year, and Wenger's sort of targeting guys that are at their peak or like right past it. It kind of seems like and. Are you worried at all that, like, once he's gone, there's going to be a couple of years of just, like, really tough having to kind of rebuild the entire team? Yeah, I do imagine that happening. But, I mean, I guess you, you mentioned Moyes and post-Fergie. The difference is, is that Fergie left after winning the title. So yeah. we're experiencing the Moyes results now. You know, I mean, they're going to finish 8th through 10th, possibly, even. And so, you know... Uh, if it if, if changing the manager means it it's it's finishing between seventh and tenth for a year or two years, I mean it's already happening now. So it, it's like un, unless they fall into the relegation zone, which isn't going to happen, um, just that change. You know, like I, th I think you know there, there there's not going to be it can't get worse. Is basically what I'm saying of of a club of Arsenal stature. I mean, famous last words, <laughs> but it really can't get much worse. <laughs> you know, I mean, like. Well, I mean, like you know, you. Well, now actually, I I, I don't want to I don't want to pile on you, but who would you ha like? Who would you have come in to to manage this this Arsenal? Like, who can, like, who would be your next choice for manager at this point? Uh, that's gonna be if Arsene Wenger were to resign today, let's say, and I would I would be really curious to see what the the bookies lines would be, you know, for who would fill the role because. You know, Ancelotti has been discussed. You know, Bournemouth's manager Eddie Howe has been discussed. Brendan Rodgers, who's at Celtic now, I think uh, it would be a very tickles out of the question because he just hired the person that he hated at Dortmund. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it would be a very attractive job, and and then I guess to Ryan's point, there is a debate about whether you want a caretaker type like Ancelotti that that is sort of meant to kind of. Uh, keep things stable for a couple seasons, um, or you want to bring in a young guy 
like an Eddie Howe or or somebody like that that is meant to be the long term replacement. Um, so, yeah, I don't know who who you know. <clears throat> it's it's just like uh, you know when somebody dies, for example. It's only then that you kind of remember all the great that he's done. I think when Arsene Wenger when Arsene Wenger re- re- retires, I that's think, hashtag dark shit, Donnie. I gotta tell you. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, is that you know, like when the, the moment Arsene Wenger retires, everybody's gonna kind of re- you know look upon his legacy and remember all the all the great things that he did for the club. But um, you know, and I, and I, I can see that hangover persisting and kind of that shadow looming over his replacement. Um, but honestly, you know, he should have left after the, they won the FA Cup in 2014. That was the that was the perfect time to leave when they when they finally lifted a trophy after so many years. It was leaving on a high. Um, and since from the 2014 season until now, it's really been going backwards. And I think I've seen fans say he's ruining his legacy. I don't think that's true, but they've definitely regressed since then. And uh it's going to continue. I, I fully believe he's going to see see out the end of his contract, and you know it's it could get worse. So it's extremely dark, and we just want you to know that we're here for you through this tough what, time. What, what are your guys' opinion of Obama Yang though? Because he's a name that was probably one of the hottest. I mean, he still is. I mean, he still scores a shit ton of goals. But I think like a year, two years ago, he was really like, you know, all the big teams really were after him. So. I uh, think he's really, really good right now. Um, I think I told you guys yesterday, like expected goals per ninety minutes. He's actually the hot, the best in Europe. Um, X- this XG so King, XG yeah, King, he's XG God. Um, but also, like, get so much of his game is. I mean, not to say that he's not, you know, good with the ball at his feet or whatever, but I, so much of his game is dependent upon his athleticism. It doesn't seem like he has a game that's going to age well. No, and you know, if you're Arsenal, you're not, you know, you're not Man City, you're not Man U, you're not. I mean, I guess you have he, he can't even play in the Europa League. You're not. If you're Arsenal, you kind of need to be buying players that are going to get better under your watch. Um, and Aubameyang, you're going to have to. <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to have to sign him to a long-term deal, and it's. I think he could be really good for the first couple of years, but the back end of that deal is probably not going to look great. Easier to develop, a, it's 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 like easier to develop a young player than it is to help one reinvent himself. Like it's, yeah, which I, is what he's going to have to do. I'm also, it's a little weird to me that I we've heard all these stories about teams being interested in him, but then like, Last summer, it was like he might go to China or he'll stay at Dortmund. So I think it's kind of it's surprising to me that more teams haven't sort of aggressively tried to get him, despite how good he is. Um, and that would kind of raise a couple red flags for me too. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like also we talked about this when the Ox left. Is that players used to want to come to the Arsenal to get better or to to learn under Wenger, and that's no longer the case. And so uh, Obama Yang, it does make me look at him a little side eye. Like, why are you? Because even Mkhitaryan has said, like, or rumored to have been said, he doesn't want to come to the Arsenal because it's a low level, quote unquote, team. Um, Obama Yang has kind of struck me, you know, <laughs> all, off the pitch. And Micah, maybe you can make fun of me for this, but he seems a little. Uh, he's got all the. It's like the Pogba level of flash, but just less cool. Like a little bit, like. <laughs> <laughs> 
he has like the type of demeanor and social media presence that to me screams I don't know trying too hard and and like he has like bust like f- red flags are popping up when I when I see him the way he dresses and the way he acts and I don't know if that makes me washed. <laughs> well, he did. Or, he I mean, famously or, does the thing where he put the Spider Man mask. That on. was actually kind of cool. That's cool though. But that I, was like, like a few years ago. So I still don't know. Like him and Mark Rowe's doing the doing the Batman Robin thing. Just the disgusting thing about that is that the mask was in your compression shorts for sixty yeah. minutes. That's disgusting. It was like when Tevez had that binky that he would break out. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I think his, his his motivation, I mean, I mean, obviously I can't speak for him, but I think he, he really does want to come to London and he wants to, to play in the Premier League. And, and, and Arsenal is the team that might give him that opportunity. Um, and, and for that reason, I think it could happen. But uh, I, I kind of am nervous about what will happen if he comes and doesn't perform, given... Uh, Given the English media and yeah. given everything, really, yeah. yeah, they'll definitely be ready to jump down his throat if he yeah. if he doesn't perform. So, okay, well, we've got another potential Arsenal prospect for you. This is a transfer rumor that I'm ginning up myself. <laughs> uh, third overreaction is Zlatan Ibrahimovic is just a budget Marco Arnautovic. <sighs> <laughs> I feel like Donnie should, st- should should talk about this one. I I I feel like I'm a little overly emotional for that. Um, I mean, six goals, three assists in the past seven games. There's no striker that's more. Well, he's actually only just recently, I guess, been playing as a striker, but as as a you know center forward. But if you watch his performance against Huddersfield, he he was part of every goal, and actually the first goal. Uh, actually, at the start of the second half, did you guys see when it was like a long ball up to him and he kind of bird camped around a defender and crushed it with his right foot? I mean, it yeah. was like suddenly it was a ballerina. Yeah, I think you know he has a reputation. <laughs> he has the <laughs> reputation as being kind of a, a a knucklehead, which is true, and a little bit uh, of a bully, which I guess might be true. But I think it kind of makes people underestimate how actually skillful he is. I mean, the I think it was the third goal or Lanzini's second goal, maybe. He basically created that with this little feint, you know, to get around the defender and, and create space for himself. He has a lot of, you know, skills that I think were overlooked because he was so fucking terrible for the first dozen games of the season. Very and unsturdy also goal because celebration, he was at, though. Oh, the what, what was he doing? He was doing. It, he was. It was like a very slow motion hit them, folks, which is just like that hitched in basically all of the wrong places. It was. He basically, he basically looked like he was a little bit unsure of whether or not to do it, and then he was like in his head, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do it." But it wasn't with really the real conviction that you need, I think, to pull it off. Mike will made it tight beat YouTube.com. <laughs> he, Have you uh, seen him without his shirt on? And like, cause uh, his tattoos game is crazy too. It's like. He definitely looks like he was in a Ukrainian prison for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, I have, I have not. Yeah, Google it. He, but yeah, Arnautovic and Lanzini is like the new what? Camp Henri. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blasphemous! Uh, we should say that he has six goals, three assists in his last seven games. He also has six goals, three assists on the entire season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I said. Inform. I, I pose this question. I'll pose it to you, listeners, too. If you had a, to 
field a lineup for a match this weekend, just one game, and you had the choice right now in their current form of Lukaku, Morata, Lacazette, and Arnautovic, it might not be a slam dunk for Marco, but I would say that you might be inclined to pick him because he's, you know, he's basically been unplayable for the last few games. Hey, Lukaku scored this weekend. Let's let's be let's be real. Yeah, <laughs> not on the weekend. Now, he, he still hasn't scored on the weekend yet. Oh, yeah, only on that's Mondays. Right. Only on Mondays. <laughs> I, I Three in his asked, last nine. <laughs> I asked that question before the the United Stoke game. Lukaku was really really good. Actually, yeah. eye openingly good that game. So take him out, Murata and Lacazette, who haven't scored in ages. Even though you know Lukaku, low key, kind of you know just caught the ball and set it down <laughs> still had a lot to do though that was I, a good I actually i initially said that arnautovic would be last for me but i've come around and i'm gonna if i needed a goal for in my next game i'd take him uh, let me ask you this question right what do you think is lanzini's current transfer value after that game or after the last string of games i didn't they get him for 10 million uh Something around there. Um, I personally do not. I'm not a huge fan of Lanzini. Uh, there are rumors of him being a Coutinho replacement, which I just, I don't <laughs> see. Um, that would make me really sad. Um, but, you know, it's like, what did Gilfie Sigurdsson go for this summer? 47? Lanzini's 24, you know, so like, Put it right around there, if not more. You yeah. know, someone will someone will pay that. Yeah. Um, he also tried a Rabona <laughs> on the shot <laughs> when he he had like a clean shot and and, and almost a one v one. So I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, or that changes the way you look at him, but it says something. He, uh, well, Dimitri Payet famously did that Rabona cross, and it actually led to a goal. <laughs> so. He's just copying a, a West Ham legend. I um, mean, like, I prefer my number 10 saucy rather than sauceless. That's true. So um, it, is David Moyes now, like, a genius for playing Arnautovic and Landini and, and, and deploying them the way he is? Uh, because as you said, you know, our past seven games, six goals, three assists for Marco, he didn't score against under Slavin Bilic. And during those games, a lot of the times it was what? Chicharito or mm-hmm. Andy Carroll for some of those games, you know, uh, playing in the number nine. And, and now it's kind of this two-man f- front line um, that's scoring all the goals. And West Ham on form is sixth place on the form table. So is, do we, is Moyes it's a genius wild. now? They're in 11th. I think it, it goes back to that conversation we had about in the last episode uh, about the teams outside of the top six. It's like... At least Moyes has come in and it seems like he has a plan, which is what you just alluded to. It's like make the team defensively solid, which we know he has a history of doing um, even a little bit at Sunderland too, um, even though that ended disastrously. And then let these two guys that are, you know, I don't, neither of them are consistent producers, I think. Uh but they have the potential to m- make shit happen out of nowhere. And rather than like building this like creative, like all, all 11 players passing up and down the field system, just like letting, your team letting these two guys just find space and break the defense down, it's like 
just that seems to be good enough to just climb you right up the table, you know? I think that's kind of how I look at it. So he d- deserves a lot of credit, actually, I think. But it's, I don't think he's doing anything, like, groundbreaking either. Also, it helps to have Adrian playing instead of Joe Hart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What yeah, if Andy it, Carroll joins Chelsea? Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's a secret great move by Moyes also. Mm. David Moyes to Real Madrid. Yeah, he's, yeah that's what uh, Moyes is just carving that path back to Spain. Back who who to... finished? Okay, so at, at the moment, uh, after both being in the relegation zone at different points this season and both having fired their managers earlier, West Ham and Palace are both our level. 25 points. Who, who do you think finishes, finishes higher? I'm going to say Palace. I think I would also say Palace. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Zaha, Benteke, or th- th- I take that pairing over Arnautovic over, over the course of the season. Um, I mean, if we're talking about cons- consistent application and focus from game to game... Yeah, like over over an entire season, I would probably take also take Benteke and yeah. And Benteke is kind of back to being bad though, or at least he was in the in the last match. But that said, yeah, Zaha Benteke. It's uh, David Moyes and uh, Roy Hodgson are just uh, <laughs> schooling the rest of the league, <laughs> which is not something I thought I would be saying at the beginning of the season, but. Yeah. Uh, here we are. Well, let, me, let me ask one last question for you guys, actually, about VAR, V-A-R, Video okay. Assisted Replay. Are you guys for or against? I mean, have we discussed this before? Because it came up a lot over the weekend because there were a couple contentious, I mean, as, as every weekend, some contentious decisions. But in particular, it was the Decore handball for Watford to equalize against Southampton. And for me, for that one, even with video, I mean, everyone was saying it was a clear and obvious handball, but even on There's the replay. There's also a really deft and skillful handball. I know. I'm, I'm glad I'm not a, a, a referee because uh, he kind of like moved his head in a way that even on replay, it looked like it went off his head. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I mean, do you guys think it'll be the panacea here, VAR, if it's eventually implement, implemented uh, for Premier League? I mean, like, I think that the thing that. I like VAR makes a lot of sense in theory just because it's something that every viewer has at home, but somehow the on-field officials don't have it. But at the same time, it's just like it adds this new dimension of frustration to the game. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I've, I feel like for, for time is just going to be the cost of doing business. Like you're going to be waiting for three minutes to figure out whether or not something was a goal or not. Um, but I think I would rather have it than not have it in those situations. It just feels, you know, it, it does feel as an American fan an anachronistic for a league to not have some type of instant replay because yeah. it's it's now in every, literally every, all the major sports in America. That said, I'm actually against it. But Ryan, what do you think? I actually don't, I haven't thought about this enough to have strong feelings. Um, even if I did think about it, I don't think I would have strong feelings. But, you know, part of... Like, you watch an NFL game this weekend, um, and it's just, like, every, what, five minutes, ten minutes, it's, like, we need to go to the replay booth to decide this play. And it's, like... A game would be three hours. You're not watching soccer. Um, You're not watching football for most of a football game, right? And what makes soccer amazing, partially, is that you're just watching a soccer game for 45 minutes. 
unless someone gets injured or someone scores. And then there's a break, and then you get to watch it again for another 45 minutes. And bringing in VAR, you know, I, I think it kind of... No, I actually like that. that was a, that's, that's a good take, because it's just like... <laughs> kind of just FIFA making the game more and more realistic every year and it's just yeah. like I don't come here to 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 for my for the players that I'm controlling to have a bad first touch I have I get enough of that in real life like. yeah exactly <laughs> and we've you know there's a reason that referee decisions are a topic of contention every weekend it's cuz the rules of basically any sport but especially soccer are vague and it's hard to know what's right and that's to me, that's just part of the game. Um, I'm not agreed, like agreed. You know, if they found a way to get rid of that, I'm not. It's not the end of the world, but I guess it leads to what does it lead to? I guess sterility. You yeah. don't have any more Roy Carroll howlers like yeah, cuffing the ball out from behind the, the goal <laughs> line after it's already gone all the way into the back of the net, and it still somehow doesn't count as a goal. Exactly. We don't. No more Arson Wenger. Calling Mike Dean a disgrace. No more Terry on the yell at a computer instead. <laughs> Which actually, that would be funny. <laughs> so, um, all right. We should move on to uh, our big zonal question mark of this week. Um, I guess we kind of already decided what the answer to this is with David Moyes, but the question is what is next for Real Madrid? They are, they lost this weekend to Villarreal. It's a really kind of embarrassing performance from Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're 19 points back of Barcelona, already dropped more points than they have all year. They're playing PSG in the round of 16 of the Champions League, and it feels like, you know, if they lose that, the season is over in March. Has a Champions League winner ever gotten sacked in the middle of the next season? Or the following season. Like, I'm sure it's happened, like, in Italy somewhere. Did Di Matteo? Like, yeah, Di Matteo, Matteo, I think. Oh, that, okay. That doesn't really count, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, we were talking about Arsenal managers. Maybe Zidane will come. Just just joking. Who knows? But but I think the reason we're bringing this up is, well, this is the reason we're bringing it up, since I'm we've designed the podcast and we can talk about <laughs> what we want to talk about. Uh, since he did the rundown. <laughs> yeah, is that... Of all the clubs in the world, the one that is least able to weather a crisis and come out on the other side historically has been Real Madrid. Someone pays for negative results no matter what. Um, And the league is over barring, I guess, a messy injury. And then on top of that, a historic collapse from Barcelona. Um, and barring Real Madrid winning the Champions League, which they could, but it's so much harder to win it when you have to play PSG in the round of 16. It just adds a bigger variable than you would think you would get if you're Real Madrid. Um, So barring any of that stuff happening, something is going to happen with Real Madrid. Their core of Ronaldo, Benzema, is aging. They're still producing a lot of shots and chances but they're just not going in um which they're is not really of, high quality either no. i mean like most of his shots against Villarreal for, were from outside the box yeah they they've always sort of been a barrage of long distance shots and crosses but it's they have all of the best players in the world so it works out mm-hmm. um but now it's not um so it seems like despite winning two champions league titles in a row zidane is seems to me like is going to be the one that bears the brunt of what's happening here but then it also seems to me like we're 
we're now what a year or two removed from Real's last huge transfer signing. Um, yeah, unless you count Vinicius Jr. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it seems like they are holding all of the dominoes, and they can push them in any direction they want. Um, what do you guys make of this situation? Well, I mean, like, yeah, that, that I think that that is pretty spot on. There's not, they're not really robust to crisis. If some somebody is going to have to pay, I mean, like, even the beginning of the season, we were talking about this kind of in November, where it's just kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, is is it in? Is it is it all going to be out or yeah. or not? I mean, and. I mean, like, he's going to be the first one on the chopping block because it's not going to be Cristiano Ronaldo. No. So, Donnie, are you there? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, My brain turned off all this La Liga talk. No, but, you know, I I think if it were any other person but Zidane, he'd probably be gone already, right? Or long gone, you might even say? Yeah, I think so. I I do think in that PSG tie or in that the Champions League, more of the pressure, I think, is going to be on PSG than on Madrid, and I wouldn't be surprised to see not Madrid not save their season necessarily, because but win at least that matchup. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but um, I mean, it's the, the the onus is definitely on PSG to perform in the round of sixteen. Like, yeah. I I mean, when the draw happened, you were thinking like, okay, well, this is not good for them because well, yeah, they're also they also won their group, you know, yeah. so they're kind of the ones who seem to be getting <laughs> screwed screwed here, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I mean, they're the Liga is not the proving ground for this team that cost a bajillion dollars. Yeah. Like this, they they were put together for Champions League success. So yeah, I think it's definitely more pressure is going to be on PSG there, but also not an insignificant amount of pressure on Madrid to do something this season. Well, it seems like this summer is Madrid might be flushing out some of the. I was going to say dead weight, but not dead weight, but some of the stale pieces that they have, Luka Modric included, I guess, and 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 Benzema, and and obviously everyone's talking about Harry Kane. What do you think, uh, Ryan? Madrid needs to do this summer. I I mean it's weird because again we've we were talking about Real Madrid before the season as like oh my god like this team suddenly has like all of these talented young players and they're making smart signings and Ronaldo doesn't even have to play. Yeah. They're also like trucking Barcelona. Um, So I, I, I don't think like the club is actually in that deep of a crisis. I think, you know, they're, I think they've probably been pretty unfortunate with a lot of their results. Um, So that when that's the case, the XG battle, huh? Are they winning the XG battle? <laughs> They're based on expected goals. They should have around forty points, and they have thirty-two. Um, that's which is a big difference. They're still behind Barcelona by about five points, which is, I guess, is a failure in Real Madrid's eyes. Either yeah. way, um, but I think you know, I think they probably the the front grouping is it, they're just getting older. Ronaldo, Benzema. Gareth Bale has actually been really good when he's played, but it, he just never plays because he's always hurt. And we're, it seems like we're set for another summer of Gareth Bale to Man U. Like, that seems like the inevitable so transfer that never happens. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's like 
if I'm Real Madrid and I know that I need to make a big splash and I want to sign this like world known superstar, Andy Carroll, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <laughs> Danny Ings. Uh, <laughs> I th- it's just like the Kane thing just makes too much sense for me. Like he's clearly taken a leap this year. Three players on the planet are taking six shots or more per 90 minutes, and it's Ronaldo, Messi, and Harry Kane. <laughs> like, Do you think, let's just go into the hypothetical next season where yeah. Harry Kane is playing at Madrid. Yeah. Do you think that Harry Kane is like the same player? I don't know that Harry Kane is Harry Kane if he's not... Like, I mean, like, he's playing for Tottenham right now. He can do anything he wants. Like, yeah. the entire... When Tottenham was playing Everton, there was, a, a, I think, a break after... Like, in the beginning of the game, maybe, where mm-hmm. he could have easily, like, slotted through uh, Dembele or uh, Deli Ali. I can't remember which one, but decided to take this kind of open his body and try to pick out the far post. Yeah. And it's just, like, any other team, somebody is is biting into you over that yeah it's just kind of like yeah Kane is he's also scored a a bajillion goals this year and it's just like he can do whatever he wants but you go to Madrid and now you're playing with Ronaldo and it's a whole different thing yeah I think if they sign Harry Kane I think it's it has to be some sort of recognition from the club like okay like this is our new... Yeah, this is our guy, Ronaldo. You're still here. <laughs> you're still Ronaldo. Um, but, like, you're not going to be here forever. And we're seeing sort of the maybe the signs of aging a little bit mm. this year. <laughs> yeah, that's like telling Tom Brady, Jimmy G's coming. Jimmy exactly, G's coming. exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's not, like, it's not going to... There's no sort of clean break here, uh, I don't think. It's going to be noisy. I mean, it was noisy as hell with Gareth Bale. And he was... He can't even stay on the field, and he's not a striker, so he's not like... He's noisy with Hamas, too. Bale isn't eating into Ronaldo's production, I think, as much as Harry Kane would. And I, we know, you know, Ronaldo loves playing with Benzema because Benzema is like A the quiet, most, deferential. Yeah, <laughs> selfish or unselfish striker, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Harry Kane isn't, you know, you don't shoot that many times a game uh, if you're unselfish. Yeah. So... I mean, it would be fascinating to see. Um, there's not really a long history of English players. English players succeeding in La Liga. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Who do you think is the greatest British La Liga player, Donnie, in recent times? You know, I w- you, one might think Beckham. I mean, Beckham kind of had the most sustained success. I guess Gary Lineker in the past. Yeah. Uh, Steve McManaman, though, don't sleep on him. I mean, he... Have you ever got, Have you guys read his book before? I recommend you to read it. It's interesting. Um, it, it's it's just all about his time being in the the Galacticos, and and sharing the dressing room with all these legends and and uh, how he kind of basically it's probably Harry Kane should buy the book and read it because it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's about how as an Englishman uh, he struggled to adjust and adapt uh, to being a blanco, and I think it's uh, um, it shows you that why I think English players are uh, a little hesitant. Uh, I mean, uh, McManaman obviously succeeded eventually, but it's not... And 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 we kind of discussed this before offline that I have a hard time picturing Harry Kane adapting to living in Madrid and and playing in Spain for some reason. He seems like... I mean, maybe I'm 
some preconceived notion maybe, but I, he just seems like such the quintessential Englishman. Yeah. Yeah, but he does— Because, yeah, you know, at least Beckham had, like, that sort of cosmopolitan, worldly type of vibe, you know, of, of being like a, uh, you know, um, he seemed like a man of the world. Yeah, he was an art dad. <laughs> the thing Harry, I would, would say for Harry Kane, um, you know, again, I un- unfortunately, I'm, I don't know him. Uh, <laughs> but everything you read about him, I mean, the guy literally talks about how he kind of worships Tom Brady, and he seems like he's not the quintessential Englishman in a way that he's folk, like a hundred percent focused on just playing soccer and getting better at it, which you know uh, is not sort of the Wayne Rooney school of being a professional athlete. <laughs> um, and I think that you know that would be the reason I could see it working out for him, you know, just putting his head down and not really giving a shit other than scoring goals. Just doing, just doing the TB12 method in, yeah, in Madrid. Exactly. Bring Makes Alex sense. Guerrero. That's <laughs> our uh, advice for you, Harry Kane. All right, we're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk to Ted Knutson. Hey, it's JJ Redick, and this week's guest on my podcast is retired soccer superstar Terry Henry. I had the chance to catch up with him while in London recently to talk about his love of the NBA, why soccer players are more athletic than NBA players, and what we're doing wrong in youth development in basketball in America. Listen to this show and more by subscribing to the JJ Redick podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome back. It's just me. Ryan, uh, everyone else is gone, but I am joined by Ted Knutson, who unofficial title is the properest of all football men, but he's the former head of player analytics at FC Brentford and FC Michelin, and now uh, runs the soccer consultancy Statsbomb Services. What's up, Ted? Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. Just trying to uh, trying to get my head around all of this this transfer nonsense in January and trying to figure out what's real and what's not. Yeah, this this year is really quite odd in that you've got a lot of clubs that are in sort of slightly dysfunctional spots and Manchester City are running so far away with it um, that we're in... It's a much noisier January than I think it's been in the past. Yeah, and I, I think... I think, like, the general smart guy, conserv- uh, not conservative, conventional wisdom has been that, you know, good teams, teams that know what they're doing typically aren't doing business in January. But, you know, at the same time, it seems like other than Tottenham, everyone in the top six is sort of scrambling to make moves happen. Yeah, I think even Spurs are trying to, to get a little bit more depth for their attack because they know they've got a lot of games and they really care about the the ones coming up in this half of the year versus having to play Europa, which they don't care about as much in the past. Um, but then you have Arsenal in this weirdly dysfunctional phase. They made some terrible choices in the summer and now they're trying to, to scramble and fix them. you got Conte who decided that he doesn't like Mishibachuai as a forward and he needs another one. And Andy Carroll, baby. Forwards, yeah, <laughs> or not. <laughs> Some of those forwards have played a ton of minutes, though. Like, um, you know, Lacazette hasn't played as much, but Morata and, and Lukaku, like, clearly seem like they got run down by all the minutes they played in the first half of the year. So I think the weirdest thing to me that's happening right now is we don't really ha- we don't need to get into Arsenal's dysfunction and 
why they're suddenly deciding to sell Alexis Sanchez if they weren't if they didn't sell him over the summer. But are you hoping that I'll rant? Is that is that what no, this is? No, I, I don't. I don't want to make you do this rant. I've heard you um, do this rant many times, and it, as with Arsenal, it seems like nothing ever changes other than the names of some of the players. But I, I remember Arsene Wenger said, I think he said something about their being a bidding war among the other teams. And I'd always thought for Alexi Sanchez, and I'd always thought, well, he has, you know, five months left on his contract. Why would there be a bidding war? Because Sanchez can essentially decide whatever team he wants to go to if he's willing to wait, you know? Um, But now it seems like there actually is kind of a bidding war for him. So is this, are all of these teams like losing their minds trying to pay, you know, Essentially, they're paying what more than what Chelsea just paid for Ross Barkley for an extra five months of Alexis Sanchez, and then I guess to lock down his services for the next three or four years. But he's, you know, he's basically post peak right now. So it's, I'm kind of shocked that Arsenal has managed to like create <laughs> this frenzy of activity around a player that they have no leverage with. So to be totally honest, I'm not sure that they have. Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you operate the media well enough between the agent and and the club, you know they can try and act like there's a market out there mm-hmm. when there may or may not be. Um, yeah, Alexis was one of the best players in the Premier League last year by far. This year, a little less so. He plays a ton of international football, although he won't be at the World Cup. And the question is, you know, how long is he going to be one of the better players in the world? But they're obviously trying to get like one massive final deal to the point that I think that, you know, they're negotiating almost turned City off. Like Mm -hmm. he's clearly a luxury player for City this season. And and why would they necessarily need him if he wants to go there and potentially win more titles with Pep? Then, you know, make the deal, like figure out what has to happen in order to make the deal. Yeah. But obviously, you know, money, money is a big play. United kind of are looking for a little more experience out wide. They still have a lot of age. Alexis is good for his age, uh, but we don't know if there's going to be a fall off or not. And, but I'm, I'm really not sure that, 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 that what's coming out in the media, that there is a market and that they've created a lot of um, you know, desire for Alexis. I'm not sure that's true at all. I think that's a lot of smoke. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, credit to whoever's creating that smoke then. I guess. <laughs> well, that, that's true. And it's amazing. Like if you play the media right, you're able to to do some pretty cool stuff in the transfer market. Um, you know, with regard to Alexis and Arsenal in general, it's it's kind of funny. Like imagine being being an A's fan, being a smart A's fan back in the early days when you realized that they were doing money ball. And you're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I, I like my club. I like that they're doing smart things. When Theo Epstein came into to the Cubs and, and suddenly they started doing smart things, you're like, you know, this, I, I'm, I feel good about this. It's mm-hmm. exciting to root for a club that's, that's doing the right things and, and making good choices. With Arsenal, they have owned Stat DNA for something like six or seven years right now. And we've very rarely seen them make really positive choices. We occasionally we, we don't see them make you know big mistakes, but the weird part about Arsenal is just like there are obviously good choices that they're not making. And they and this last summer was an absolute disaster. Who knows why? I, I guess someday we'll, we may get a behind the scenes story. But then you get Liverpool on the other side who have just, you know, every single time the ball comes in, it goes right back out. And they're doing a great job in finding finding players that that matter for them. And they're paying good prices for them, too. Not too much 
In some cases, they get great deals. Um, but in general, they're the exact players that they need. And that's exactly how you want your football club to operate. Arsenal are the opposite right now, despite the fact that they apparently have you know some really smart people behind the scenes. Yeah, and I think, I think it must come back to the fact that the man, Arsene Wenger, who's overseeing everything, there's still really no, there's so much uncertainty about his future. And when that's the case, how do you plan for the future? Because if he's only going to be there for two years, why would he plan ahead? If he doesn't know how long he's going to be there, how does he know sort of what, I guess, time horizon to aim for? It just, you know, it's a lot of it is sort of speculation, but I think you can connect the dots and sort of see that there's just, you know, now they're being linked with like Aubameyang, who's just as I think you said today, earlier today on Twitter, he's you're just adding another like on the downside of his age curve player to a team that's already kind of old. So it's sort of it's, he's been good. There's no question for he's sure. been good. But also there's a reason why they haven't had takers for him. And I think Dortmund looked at him and were like, well, we find it very difficult to replace him and he's got a long term contract. But also, you know, we wouldn't be averse to shifting him should someone come along because that's kind of their model. And Aubameyang's 28, Mkhitaryan, who they, um, they've been linked with as a potential swap directly for Alexis, turns 29 next week. <laughs> and so you're like, well, Arsenal are already the oldest of the top six in terms of uh, weighted player minutes. They need to get younger. They need to get more uh, players in that are, are going to be on the upswing. And what you're seeing is, is you know, clearly some potentially desperate moves, if what's in the media is true, that they'd be buying these very good players. But players, they're going to be locked in on big wages for for the next four years or so. And who knows what the decline is going to be like. Yeah, and especially as it, it seems like the team is poised for a rebuild um, with Wenger's future um, still up in the air, like I said. And then being locked into players who are signed under the previous regime is sort of... It's just never a great thing. But the other thing I want to... a really interesting thing that, that came out actually this week, which is a, sort of a tangent, but also goes back to that Arsenal thing. There's a guy named Fran Taylor, who is one of the really bright people behind the scenes on the on the data analysis side at StatDNA. And he just, I think yesterday, was named as um, maybe the assistant GM at Colorado, who's also owned by by Kroenke uh, Enterprises or whatever. Okay. But he's shifted out and, and moved to, to Colorado. And I, I, I kind of put myself in that spot. I was like, yeah, I'd probably go to Colorado too, actually. Yeah, well, StatDNA, we should say, is sort of the the analytics company that Arsenal acquired, and it seems like, I'm sure you know a lot about this and maybe can't speak to a lot of it, but it seems like Arsenal almost bought them and then really didn't use them to their advantage in any way and sort of let everyone else catch up. Um, And now they have guys leaving for MLS uh, because it seems like a better situation. But the other thing I wanted to ask you is, in connected with Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil, Emre Chan with Liverpool, a uh, bunch of other guys. It seems like this year there are a lot of players that are considering or in positions to run down their contracts, which were this American sports, that is a totally normal thing. LeBron James opts out of his contract every year and is technically a free agent every offseason, but it just doesn't happen in soccer. Is that? Do you think this is sort of portending things to come, or is it just sort of a lightning-in-the-bottle situation It just happens that two of Arsenal's two superstars are running out their contracts at the same time. I think this summer moved the needle on that quite a bit. Like we saw a lot of resistance to player moves and you know, the transfer market exists partly because it's got a sort of pseudo freedom of movement. 
a lot of times you'll see clubs resist for like six months, maybe a season, and then the guy eventually moves. Um, it's tricky though, because you know, as you run down the end of your contract, you end up with leverage. And then that leverage means that you're more likely to get paid the money potentially as a signing bonus, mm -hmm. as opposed to the club who then gets paid as a transfer fee. And I think that, you know, if, if clubs are more and more reluctant to let players move and force them to see out their contracts, then you're going to see players be like, all right, well, screw this. We're going to, we're going to run it down and we're going to maintain leverage. And you're going to see them sign shorter contracts as well, which means that clubs are constantly put in a situation where they're about to lose leverage. Um, so you see more contracts get negotiated, but maybe for an extra single year. The, the, the big question, the big tricky part is like you get guys like an Abicada who are clearly on way too low wages for, for their value or the guys at Spurs who apparently are on tremendously low wages for, for the actual output and value. And they will agitate. And I, I view it this way. Like players, you have to be careful in how you deal with them. You want a good positive dressing room. They need to be on board. If you make them so that they're unhappy because they can't move. And often, like the, the difference in wages is 2, 3x if one of those big clubs that come in, you're going to cause real problems. And you'll either end up sort of shattering the transfer market status quo as it has been, or you'll end up with just a very unhappy dressing room, which is going to impact club performance. So it's a, it's a tricky balancing act. I think you're right. We'll see more people start to, to run down contracts in soccer just so that the player leverage becomes a thing as opposed to just club leverage. Yeah, and but and at the same time, it, it, I guess with Liverpool, Southampton, Barcelona, you could look at Virgil Van Dijk and Coutinho as guys that signed long-term deals and then were playing for teams that they no longer wanted to play for, and they ultimately got got the moves that they wanted. Right? I mean, I think both players, ideally, personally, they would have wanted to leave over the summer, but they actually both got their moves um, come January. So. In addition to signing shorter deals, it's is that is that also maybe a signal of things to come? The play, players having more power? Or do you think that that's kind of just always been the case? I think that's I mean the the narrative is that's always been the case. I think we're seeing more of it, and players are worth so much now that you can't really just park them and and be like, no, we're going to resist. Um, you know, I think Dortmund with uh, Lewandowski was the last major one that we saw where there's like, no, we just refused to sell. And, and basically they ate something like a 35 million euro offer from Bayern. But, you know, they were getting gobbled up by Bayern constantly anyway. They felt like they had to make a point. If everybody starts making points, like, it's just money that, that disappears. And, and at the end of the day, the transfer market is so big that the clubs still have to care about this. So I think the players definitely are, are the ones that are making moves now. And we'll, uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch over the next couple of years. Also, with with there being so much money, to me, it kind of it incentivizes players in a way to take shorter contracts. Because even if you kind of, you know, if you flop with a team, there's always going to be someone else that's going to sign you. Like you know, Sigurdsson didn't work out at Tottenham, went back to Swansea, and then gets this huge deal from Everton. Um, but so with there being so much money everywhere, I, I'm curious, like. I, I talked to someone who works with Premier League teams when I was writing a story about Coutinho going to Barcelona, and he's saying that teams sort of put values on each of their players on their balance sheets. And when someone like Coutinho is the second, you know, the second biggest transfer of all time, teams are going to value their players that they consider similar to Coutinho at around or more 
than that price. Um, so it sort of raises everyone's valuations um, of their squads, I guess. But so, like, is it even possible to get, like, is it going to become impossible to get steals in the transfer market? Or how much harder is it getting to sort of scout the transfer market in a, I don't know, fiscally, I hate to use the phrase fiscally responsible, but is it <laughs> possible to do that at the highest levels of the sport or no? So I think one thing that, that we need to understand is is kind of an economics concept where PSG came in and sh- they shattered the market last year. Like the Neymar fee is is really a release clause. It wasn't a negotiated fee. Yeah. If Barcelona had their druthers, they wouldn't have let him go at all. And the and something like what, like forty percent of PSG's revenue or whatever is what right. That cost. And, and Mbappe was on top of that for something like a hundred fifty to one hundred and eighty million as yeah. well. So PSG decided to just like swing the weight around. And and the thing that that we have to remember is like that is an instance that's probably a singular element. Like with the the FFP, we don't know how that's going to bite, whether Mm -hmm. UEFA are going to try and really push that or not. But my guess is that this isn't going to dramatically change the market. It'll make people think that that yes, we can get more for our players. But at the end of the day, what we're finding is that you know we've got that wage pressure from players and the the want to be able to move to higher wages and have some slight freedom of movement. We also, clubs still are going to have to sell um, for their own balance sheets to be able to reinvest the money. And so I think what you'll find is that there'll be later moves in the next couple of windows, Mm -hmm. but the transfer windows will settle down a little bit again. You can still find value. Like that's, that's not a question. We, we did a, a project where we went through and we found a hundred players that we thought were good enough to play for Premier League clubs uh, and we did it back at the very early part of the season. And what we found was that there were tons of underrated players out there, like to a surprising degree, as long as you have the right methodology. Now, whether you can land them on a deal, I don't know, but we'll find out over the next couple of years whether we were right. We've seen, I think, 10 of these players already start to spike in value for this window. Um, but there are plenty more out there that we think would be quite interesting from our perspective, which is an analytical perspective, to say, yeah, if you shop in the right ways in the right places, you can probably still find some pretty good bargains. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's that's exactly right. You know, it's the Neymar move really just it shook everything up and probably has changed things, but that kind of just changed I guess it changes maybe slightly the way you have to look for bargains going forward. But um Well that's absolutely true. And we've seen that happen in American sports too. It, when when you go into uh you know, a market and no one's sort of shopped analytically before with stats, then suddenly it's like, wow, all the amazing things are here and they're really quite cheap. If you go four or five years down the line, then all the low hanging fruit disappears and suddenly you got to work a little bit harder and a little bit wider in terms of what you're looking for in players in order to find that same value. But the the stats savvy clubs or, or teams in the US have always maintained a big edge. That first mover edge had a really long uh, lifespan to it. I think you've brought us full circle. If only, if only Arsenal had a had an in-house analytics company to help them figure all this stuff out. You're saying you know? this is a Liverpool fan who I know is just so <laughs> excited that you've got like you're like, yes, my club is doing a great job. We're awesome to watch. We've got rock and roll football, and I'm like, yeah, we were absolutely dreadful against Bournemouth. <laughs> yep, you said it and not me. Um, thank, thanks so much for coming on, Ted. This was awesome. Everyone, uh, go follow Ted on Twitter at Mixed Nuts, which is M-I-X-E-D-K-N-U-T-S. We'll talk to you soon, Ted. Thanks for having me on. Bye, Ryan. Bye. All right. Thanks to Ted. Thanks to Micah. Thanks to Donnie. 
Thanks to Chris. Uh, we will be back in two weeks to talk to you about whatever's happened in the Premier League, whatever madness has or has not happened in the transfer window. Um, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.